verse 23. One verse today, y'all, one verse. So it'll be a short sermon. At chapter 28, looking at verse 23. It tells us in God's word, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning to evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Let me pray for us and ask the Lord to help us at this time. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us back, Lord, to, to sit up under your word again. Lord, um, I, I need your help. I need your strength. So help me, Lord, so I can preach your word faithfully. Uh, those that are here, Lord, I pray that, Lord, that for them, Lord, their minds and hearts, Lord, are open to your word, um, that they can be built up by your word. And I swell my own heart be built up by your word. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to go before us, enrich us right now. Help us right now, Lord, how you have helped us with these two songs, Lord, and through the prayer, Lord, you have helped us. Well, Lord, we ask you to help us through the preaching of your word at this time. And let us see the beauty of the gospel, a beauty of a holistic gospel, how Paul presents it before us today, how the entire gospel was needed for us today. So, Lord, we ask you to bless us. We ask you to keep us. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. One source said the gospel isn't only a message of forgiveness, but also of restoration and righteousness. And if God declares a just in Christ, we are just indeed. We will, we will become people who do justice. We will keep promises and pay debt, right? Give generously, treat all with respect, and do all we can to bring into present foretaste of the reign of the justice to come in Christ. The church must hold up the world to a powerful vision of justice, deeply rooted in the theology of grace, inspiring us to sacrifice all for righteousness sake. The gospel call to repent from sin and follow Jesus with our whole heart lives and meaningless without such a vision. What is sin, he goes on to say, what is repentance? We cannot answer if we cannot say what justice is. The gospel itself requires the church to have a vision of justice that challenges the world greed and oppression. And by freeing people from their spiritual slavery to guilt and fear, the gospel exposes the wickedness of the worldly powers who exploit spiritual slavery for selfish gain. That's why the church on earth, the church is militant. The church is not this, the, the church is not at war with the world's injustice. I think this quote kind of points at this holistic gospel Paul is going to get at today. That, that the gospel is just not only what we proclaim, right? But also how we live our lives in the sense of responding to that gospel. Paul last week, he we found out he is in Rome. And while being in Rome, many Jews have came before him. And Paul has cleared up all of the accusation, all the things that might could have took place for them not to receive and hear the gospel. Anything to do with Paul's character, 
anything that deals with um, anything that deals with some type of assuming what Paul may believe that goes against Judaism, Paul cleared it up and said, no, I love the Old Testament. Paul even came in and said, no, I keep the traditions of the fathers. Because Paul didn't want them to reject the gospel based upon his own character. He wanted them to be able to receive the gospel by hearing it faithfully from him without anything that hinders the gospel from going forward. So today, we're going to learn the people open up their hearts now. They find that they have trust for Paul. They find out that Paul is a person that they want to hear more from. And Paul is going to explain to them, what does this holistic gospel look like? So we're going to do it in three points today. Paul's life opened up door for unbelievers wanting to hear the gospel, 23a. Paul made sure his gospel proclamation consisted of the kingdom of God, 23b. And Paul made sure his gospel proclamation consisted of pointing Jesus in all scriptures in 23c. So jump to point number one, 23a. Paul's life opens the door for unbelievers wanting to hear the gospel. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. The Jews that now trusted Paul's testimony. Now they come to him on an appointed day. They came to the house where Paul was lodging. And they came pretty much in great numbers or pretty deep, we would say, in our terms. You might be asking, how in the world are these Jews here in great numbers? Normally, Jewish leaders are on the forefront to condemn Paul. But now we're seeing they're coming in great numbers to Paul. And where you remember last Lord's Day, again, I explained that the Jewish leaders, they have witnessed and have heard the innocence of Paul. Even Rome has actually testified that Paul is actually innocent. And also Paul's appreciation to the traditions of the fathers. But also Paul, we talked about last week, Paul didn't bring any charges against the Rome, I mean against the Jews, which he was actually a Roman citizen. He could have brought charges against the Jews, but he didn't. Paul actually helped protect the Jews from Rome, who didn't play about people that messed with their citizens. If you was a Roman citizen and you was actually a Jew actually messing or, or trying to um, uh, persecute some type of Roman citizen, the Roman government would stand up for you. So Paul could have said that, hey, these Jews are, um, they're antagonizing me. The Jews are doing these things. Paul could have did that. But Paul comes out and says that I don't have anything against them. Paul said that they haven't did anything to me. Paul pretty much defended them. Because if Paul would have brought charge against them, they would have been dealt with harshly. But Paul tells us last week that he didn't have any fault against them. So Paul sharing his innocence and the love for Judaism and opened up the door for him to explain biblical Christianity. A lot of times we go into our communities zealous to share the gospel in our communities. We talked about this last week. And a lot of times people turn their ears and walk off from the gospel that we proclaim because of the damage of Christianity has done in the past, in the present. Or it might have been at work. Living a certain way at work 
And people not interested in hearing the gospel because of the hypocritical lifestyle. Might be family members. They don't want to hear for you to share the gospel with them because you might have lived a certain way that they have seen they don't want to hear it. So we should be quick to acknowledge anything in the name of Christianity that has been disruptive. If it's been us that's been disruptive, we should be able to be honest and be able to be honest before them. That that's not biblical Christianity. We should run people away from the faith because of our lifestyles. Jesus said, all little children come to me, not cast out like gentrification, not like the poor care given to the immigrants on the border we talked about, not like the slaveholders of the past, not like the biased employers. We are called to be the world, to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to let the light of Jesus shine bright into our communities. And Paul made sure that he wasn't a stumbling block for the gospel. So Paul wanted to make sure that he was a light to his community. So Paul said, this is my resume here. Look at my resume. The, the, the Rome, Romans actually checked these things off. The Romans, the Romans are, have said it. I didn't do anything against the custom of Judaism that they know of. And so what happens now is they accept Paul today. Uh, Paul's life is actually matches up his testimony. And they accept Paul. Family, is that our lives? Do our lives match our testimony? Do our lives of the gospel Christ has done, what he continues to do in us, does our life match what we proclaim? And I think that wall, right, that wall that many people probably have up against us might be because of things that we have done in our past. I haven't seen it in my past at times. But a lot of times we can be able to be a wall before many others to hear the gospel because our love doesn't match what we proclaim. Even Jonathan Edwards, prime example, was a slaveholder. He, he, he has proclaimed, has wrote so many books on theology, wrote so many books on the gospel, but he still owns slaves. And still today, Jonathan Edwards is a great writer. I love his writings. I love a lot of things about Jonathan Edwards. But what about others in the sense of not even entertaining him? The first words that you put on Google about Jonathan Edwards, you hear that he owns slaves. And some people say, I don't want to read anything about them. Paul is different here. Paul doesn't want any stumbling about being a way for them to hear the gospel. So what did they do? After they vet Paul, after they see all these things in Paul, they see he's good. Now we see in our text that now they come to the house that Paul teach us more than Come teach us, Paul. Look at point two now. Paul made sure his gospel proclamation now, they come to Paul, they want to hear more about what he believed. Paul, tell us what you believe in. So all the things is, and tell us what you believe. They come to his house and be big, uh, uh, big numbers. So Paul made sure that, this is what he's going to teach them first. Paul made sure his gospel proclamation consisted of the kingdom of God. From morning to evening, he expounded to them, Testifying the kingdom of God. 
Paul taught them morning to evening. Like all day. They was in the word. When I was young, I remember waking up in the morning about 6 a.m. going to school. Then I get out of school at about 4 p.m. in the evening. Then I got to do my homework later on that evening. Then I have to got to read a book before I go to bed. I mean, all these things are pretty much from morning to evening. Well, Paul, in a similar way, he stayed with them. He taught them God's word from morning to evening, talking about the kingdom of God. He was walking them through the word with the people. He began to prove his love for the law of Moses and the prophet. Because you remember, the New Testament wasn't complete yet. So Paul would actually preach the gospel from what? The Old Testament. Paul would actually preach the gospel from the Old Testament, the kingdom from the Old Testament, but also some things he might have heard about Jesus. Or also his encounter with Jesus. But most of Paul's gospel in the kingdom would come from the Old Testament. In verse 23b, we see Paul taught on the kingdom of God. Many may think the kingdom of God comes about doing Jesus' teachings. We see it all the way in, uh, I think it's what, Matthew 4. Um, we see it all throughout Matthew's gospel about this kingdom of God, this kingdom of God. And somebody asks us that, well, is the kingdom of God introduced in the New Testament? Well, I would say no. The kingdom of God is everywhere in the Old Testament. For a prime example, Psalm 45, 6. You are thrown, O God, forever and ever. Your scepter or your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. Daniel 2, 44-45. In the days of those kings, the, of God, uh, kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in peace all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Also, the kings of Judah will be over a kingdom which God ultimately ruled. The kings in the Old Testament were to rule with justice and honor. At the time of the Old Testament, no one knew when the true king would, would come. So the people in Israel knew that a better king would come, but they didn't know who it might be. We had great kings like David, Joash, Hezekiah, Uzziah, many other great kings. These were considered the good kings, kings, but they wasn't a true king because they wasn't perfect. So they aren't the true king of the God's kingdom. So it couldn't have been David. It could have been Joash. It could have been Hezekiah. It could have been Uzziah. It had to be a greater king that come from them to bring in this kingdom of God. So when Jesus comes to earth, he preached the kingdom of God. He reversed the effect of sins. One source says this right here about the kingdom of God. He said Jesus inaugurates the kingdom. Right? When the coming of Christ, the kingdom begins not in the coronation of a mighty king, but in the birth of a crime baby. Yet yeah, Jesus' ministry began in Mark. He announced that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. But also the sword goes said, Jesus is the kingdom. Where the king is, there is the kingdom. There is precisely what Jesus says to the Pharisees. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Third thing they put on, put on here is that Jesus proposes the kingdom. Jesus revealed that his purpose is to proclaim the kingdom. Jesus described his mission saying that he must preach good news of the kingdom of God. 
So Jesus breathes in his kingdom. And what did Jesus do in the kingdom? He healed the sick. He reversed the effect of sin. Those that were lame, they began to walk. Those that were wicked, he made righteous. The kingdom that Jesus brought in was a perfect kingdom with imperfect people. But Jesus had to be the king of the kingdom because he is the one that brought it in. And also Jesus being a king solidified that he has a kingdom. How do we know Jesus is king? You guys remember John 149. Nathaniel answered him. Nathaniel answered him. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Luke 19, 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Matthew 21, 5. Said to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey on a coat. Foul, a beast of burden. Revelation 15, 3. And they sing the song of Moses, servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the Lamb. The Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and kings of kings, and those who will, those with him are called and are chosen and faithful. Last one, you guys have heard this many times, Revelation 19, 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Family, why did I keep mentioning Jesus King? Because you cannot have a kingdom without a king. Amen. You need three things to make a kingdom. You need a king, you need a land, and you need a people. The kingdom of God is the kingdom that Christ is reigning supreme. The church is his people. The believing, the invisible church is his true people. The people in the Old Testament and New Testament, the people today that put their faith in Christ, they are the people in this kingdom. Amen. The land of the kingdom that God has prepared for his people, right? It's heaven. And a new heaven and new earth is the land of the kingdom. And who reigns upon that kingdom is Jesus himself. Amen. So Jesus is the king of his kingdom. So Paul explains to them is that all this time from from morning to evening, he explaining to them of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God is? What was once prophesied is now before us. So Jesus brings his new kingdom. The blind now can see. He met the needs of the people. The spiritual need pointed to their spiritual need. And as Jesus met their physical need, many of them celebrated with actual spiritual rejoicing on what God has done for them. A new people that are citizens of their kingdom. So family, even though we are still in a physical fallen kingdom, we also live in a spiritual perfect kingdom. It's falling out around us. Just heard recently a little baby, seven years old, that got killed here. Sin is all around us. But God's kingdom is here. It's the already but not yet. We saw this in Jesus' life. People were killing each other in Jesus' life. But his kingdom, Jesus said, my kingdom is here. How does this make sense? If Jesus' kingdom is here, why is killing still happening in our communities? We 
because Jesus' people are spiritual people. We're a spiritual people bringing in that Jesus is going to put away sin uh, forever, that, that death is going to be away forever. Hostility is going to be put away forever. We're preaching these things, but we still are in a fallen world. His new kingdom is coming, but our spiritual bodies, right? We're already part of the spiritual kingdom now, waiting on our new physical bodies. So what did Jesus do? Jesus foretaste of these new bodies by healing the blind and set the sinners. So family, we should respond to that as believers at the kingdom of God. We must go into our communities and plan to gain the kingdom of God. The church is here to care for the broken. That the church is here to care for the marginalized. The care church is here to speak up for any type of injustice. The church is here to unite a father to his son or a daughter, to unite a mother to her son to her daughter. We are part of this kingdom of God. We must display it to the world, this kingdom of God. If Christ came in, we got to display it in our communities. Family, we are a Christian church. As we live our lives together and care for one another, our world sees that. We help the broken. We help the fatherless. We are part of the kingdom of God. We must display it to the world. This is not a self-help gospel. But this is the true gospel that points to God's glory, that Christ is making all things new. The kingdom of God on earth is long to be united to the physical kingdom of God in heaven. So family, is our gospel proclaimed consistent with Jesus' gospel? Jesus healed the sick. He went to the broken. Do we go to the broken? Do we meet the needs how Jesus met the needs and so that that physical need points to a better spiritual need? Is our gospel holistic? If not, our gospel is not the full gospel. If it's not the full gospel, it's the false gospel. Our gospel must be full. It must be proclaiming Jesus. And how all, not only they're proclaiming Jesus, but also our lives reflect what Jesus has done in us, how we live it out before our fellow man. Jesus brought in the kingdom. He didn't only preach the gospel. He met the needs of the people before him. Our gospel must be enriched with a total work of Christ. That Christ has died. He has united the people to himself. If Christ wasn't bringing in a kingdom on earth, why did he do miracles? Why did he do miracles? Why did he go to the broken if he wasn't bringing in his kingdom? He was bringing in his kingdom. That's why he brought it. He healed the broken. So family, we're part of the kingdom of God. We should be able to help the broken. Paul got his understanding about the kingdom of God from Christ. If you feel like what I'm saying is just, Chris, that's not the gospel helping the broken. If that's not it, listen to these words from Matthew 25, 31 and 46. Listen to these words of Jesus. When a son of man comes in his glory and, his, and all his, the angels will sit with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another, one from another as he separate separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and he put the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
Who are these people that are sheep? Who are these people on the right? Listen to verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as stranger and welcome you or naked and close you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brother, you did to me. Verse 41. Then he would say to those on his left, depart from me, you curse into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not close me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also were answered and said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked and sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he would answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of these least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away eternal punishment, but righteousness, righteous eternal life. Family, I didn't say that. This is what Jesus said here. That our gospel that we proclaim, the kingdom of God that we proclaim, it should be matched how we live our life before the broken. Not care for the broken to check it off the list. And not that I did enough in Palm Bluff and check it off the list. Family, this is our DNA now is in Christ. We care for the broken. It should be everything a part of us as we preach the gospel. Our gospel matches for us to help the people around us. We say we love Christ, but doesn't live it. Our words are so empty. Those that are placed on the left, which the ghosts are those that didn't show with their lives the work of Jesus. They might proclaim Jesus, but their life didn't show it. If your life doesn't show it, what Jesus is saying here, you didn't really believe it. You didn't really believe it. And that's the beautiful thing too, Dan, is that somebody that died on the deathbed. Yes, Jesus can save you with a true heart. You can be saved right there on the deathbed. Yes, you can. But Jesus is not stupid. Jesus, he's wise. He's smart. He knows what somebody truly believes. If they truly believe, they'll live it out. But also our gospel must consist of one more thing in point three we're going to talk about, Paul talks about here. Paul made sure his gospel proclamation consisted of pointing to Jesus in all scriptures. And trying to convince them, Paul, uh, convince them Paul, uh, about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, Paul now was trying to convince them. This convincing did with persuading, persuading the people, trying to win them over. So this wasn't a boring message from Paul. This was Paul working on the people to believe. He was answering questions and making observations, working on them. We can learn from Paul here again on being winsome with the gospel. We don't just hurry up and give a two-minute spill on the gospel. We dialogue. We listen for concerns of the people. We talked about this earlier with Brother Shaw. We reason with them over the word. We have conversation. 
We don't meet them like a statistic and check them off. We have conversations with them. Making people believe isn't convincing. We can't make people believe. We should listen to their legitimate concerns and respond in grace. I was in Chicago this week, and one of the things I was with this guy, uh, this uh, walking around Chicago, and he kind of humbled me. He mentioned this to me. He said that the God, I mean, God has already been in our community before we arrived. A lot of times we feel like we beat God out there to the community to share the gospel with people. God is already there before we even get there. God has already shown his nature with the trees. We talked about childbirth early this morning. With the grass to grow up. God is yelling out through creation that, hey, this is me. This is me. I exist. I am God. God is using creation for it. Amen. So family, we don't go in with arrogance to our communities. We go into where God is already working at in our communities. For, for them, to, they cannot deny that God exists. Even though they do deny it, for them, they, they do it by their own, uh, uh, their own uh, uh, pride. They try to deny God. But God is in existence. But mankind, they know there is a God. But for them, they have hardened, their hearts are so hardened that they don't want to acknowledge that God exists. But everything in the world and creation testify there is a God. So family, as we go into our communities, we can see what God is already working at. And as people ask these questions, the best way we find is out, how the way we find out, when people ask questions to us, when they're dialoguing with us, they're asking us questions. We listen to be able to see that how God has revealed himself to general revelation, for them to see their need, for us to point them right to the gospel. So family, we may must be a people that are dialoguing. We're not like the Hebrew Israelites on a microphone and just throwing everything out there and not letting everybody get a word in. I like Aaron Mason and Vocab Malone. They're doing a great job um, trying to convince the Hebrew Israelites, dialoguing with them, having a conversation, trying to walk them through the word. One of the profound things that the Hebrew Israelites always says is that Christians worship a white Jesus. So what did Eric Mason do? He went in and said that Jesus is not white. He agreed with them on that aspect with he's not white. And by doing that now, that now a, a, a certain barrier might be torn down there. Now he can go farther in and say, yeah, I do agree with you on this. Now let's talk more farther about let's dialogue more now what scripture says about who Jesus really is. That is huge. That is huge, family, for us to acknowledge, to have dialogue, to acknowledge things that are not Christianity. Some people might have legitimate concerns. We should be willing to listen to their legitimate concerns. So we must be persuasive with our gospel. So Paul tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. Now, Paul talked about the kingdom of God prophesied in the Old Testament and throughout Jesus' ministry. But Paul is like Jesus also part of the Old Testament. The law of Moses is the first five books of the Bible. 
The prophets of time will be the major, minor, and prophets, but sometimes can include the writers like Psalm and Ecclesiastes. So Paul used the Old Testament to convince the people of Jesus that Jesus is the true Messiah. That he was the one that was predicted throughout the Old Testament. So family, we must not limit who Jesus is to only the New Testament. Jesus is in the New Testament and also he's in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is also testifying who Jesus is. Genesis 3.15, we saw this. That Christ would be the seed of the woman that crushed the head of the serpent. Isaiah 52, 53, even go back to like Isaiah 49 and 48. That Christ is the suffering servant. That he would put to death, that's uh, we would put to death by the Father, and the Father would be pleased. Genesis, the entire book, talked about the true offspring of Abraham is Christ. Daniel talks about Christ, was in the fiery furnace. Zechariah 9, the coming king of Zion. Who was that? That's Christ. Psalm 2. The king of Zion is Christ. The entire Old Testament is pointing us to Christ. And that's what Paul did. That Jesus would be the one to defeat sin. The Old Testament prophesied through the priests that sin had to be dealt with. So the priests in the Old Testament would actually take these lambs and sacrifice them to, to push back sin. All of these things in the Old Testament pointed to something greater to come in the New Testament for Jesus to come to push away sin forevermore. So Jesus would be the one to defeat sin. And the good news is that Jesus defeated all things. And the bad news is that we have sinned and fell short of God's glory, but Jesus never sinned and kept the law perfectly. Amen. So our gospel must always include Christ's fulfillment of the law. His kingdom is here. How does the kingdom come in? Jesus comes in. He brings his kingdom in by fulfilling the law demands. If we talk about doing justice in our community and not that Jesus overcame sin, then we've become just a humanitarian group. If we're just doing justice and helping the poor in our community and there's no gospel in it, that's not the true gospel. We all come together. Kumbaya in our community. Everybody holding hands together with no Jesus in it. There's no gospel. It's not bringing in that kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of man. It's the gospel of man. We get the gospel wrong. There's no gospel without Jesus. So, are you proclaiming good projects in the community? Are you doing a lot of good things in the community? But Jesus is not shared. Family, we get everything wrong. We must share that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law in our communities. We don't have to force the gospel in every conversation. But we are waiting, waiting and listening for those that are crying out for hope, crying out, and, and just crying out for help, crying out for a father, right? Crying, crying out for a mother, crying, crying out for help. We, we hear these things, crying out for someone in the past. We hear these cries out in our community. They're crying out for help. We hear those things. We meet those concerns with the Father in heaven.
we meet those concerns with a resurrected Savior. We meet those concerns with a new community that can be brought into. So family, our gospel must be holistic. We must preach Christ and Christ crucified. We must live that out as well and be a testimony for those around us. And there's no way we can live that out if the Spirit of God is not in us. So the Spirit must move in us. So we preach the gospel and the Spirit leads us to help and do justice to those around us. Let me end with some application. Again from last week, let us not our character be the reason why people reject the gospel. Let us be quick to listen and slow to speak so that we can carefully respond to those concerns of others around us. It might take months to have good conversations, but don't dishonor God trying to honor God. Don't belittle someone. They might have legitimate concerns. Don't throw that concern to the side because you want to get straight to the gospel and you belittle them. Yes, I would love my, my intention to share the gospel. Yes, I want to go straight into the gospel every time. Every, every second. But at the same time, though, how can I go straight into the gospel? I don't, they don't, they don't, I mean, for, uh, go straight into the gospel for me, uh, um, for them not knowing the bad news, right? That they sin against God. Then we bring in the good news. So family, they need to hear, we need to see the bad news and see the things around them. Let me bring about the greatest news ever. So family, we must be patient, patient, and patient. And remember that we can't save nobody in this room. On the Lord can save. Bars rushing doing it doesn't save anybody. On the Lord can save. So family, must we be patient and be careful? And I would say patient, eager. Yeah, we eagerly share the gospel. Be patient. And we actually be quick to listen and slow to speak. Second thing I want you guys to leave with here. Remember the gospel that we proclaim must be above and below. Jesus died for sinners, and that not only affects heaven, but it also affects earth. That Jesus creates the Christian community that continue the kind words of Jesus. That we help meet the needs of the broken. We must proclaim Christ has died for sinners, and that he has made all things new. So our gospel shows that, that we show to our community it's a display the kindness of Jesus before our community. And what happened when we showed that kindness? People asked the question, like, man, why did you help me with this? Why did you give me a ride home? Why did you do this for me? And then you'd be able to see that wide open doors that this is why I did this for you, because Jesus did this for me. And this is what Jesus has done for us, for those that believe in him. So, family, as we do kind works, they people would respond just like a lot of people responded to Jesus. When Jesus did a kind work, they responded in belief. And I'm not saying that you do kind things, they're going to believe right away. Again, the Spirit of God has to be working in that person's life. Amen. You can do kind things, that doesn't mean the person's going to believe. But I say this right here it will be something that do believe. Be kind to them, meet the needs of the poor. Join things in the community to help bring hope to a down world. We have a lot of things going on in our community in Palm Bluff. Join things in our community to learn the needs in our community. I talked about the chess club here in community. They got summer camps that are going to be going on. Volunteer in the community to find out where you can better fit in. To better see the need. To better give them the hope. 
that is in Christ and Christ alone. Last thing, it's a quote here. Jesus called Christians to be a witness, to evangelize others, but also to be deeply concerned for the poor. He calls the disciples both to gospel messaging, which is urging everyone to believe in the gospel, and to gospel neighboring, sacrificially meet the needs of those around them, whether they believe or not. The two actually go together. Family, to be obedient to Jesus, we must share the gospel. We must share the gospel. And I know, you know, you might be timid. You might, might be afraid. They're going to reject me or you might be nervous. I don't know what to say. Um, the good thing about it is that in our weakness, we are strong through him. The good thing about it is that sharing the gospel in your weakness, you know for sure that you didn't have all the right words. It had to be God to go before you anyway. So family, we must share the gospel with those around us. Hell is for real. Hell is for real. But not only that, that's for real. Been separated from God forevermore is real. The God of creation, the loving God, the kind God of creation. So family, we must be eager to share the gospel with those around us. So I say today is, let us not be timid but let us depend on Christ and let us be a people in a church that goes forward and sharing the gospel with those around us. That's what Paul did here. Paul says here and explained him to them today about the kingdom of God, about how Christ is through the scriptures. Next week, as we're going to end, I believe, the book of Acts, we're going to find how they're going to respond. Now, Paul explained these things, how they're going to respond. In the past, we heard how they responded. Let's see how they're going to respond this week ahead. Let me pray for us.